Hey everybody, this is Dan with Blurb, and uh, I am sitting here with a brand spanking new mic setup, and uh, I have no idea if this is really going to work, but we're going to do it anyway. And I'm sitting here with Jeff Frost, who is someone I met a couple of years ago at the Palm Springs Festival, where they were basically launching the, the nightly projections at the festival with his short film, which was two years ago. Which film was that? Uh, Flawed Symmetry of Prediction. Flawed Symmetry of Prediction, and then everybody kind of freaked out when they saw that film, and then... This year at the Palm Springs Festival, uh, they, they uh, screened his new film, which is... Circle of Abstract Ritual. Circle of Abstract Ritual. And they actually screened it every single night. Because when Jeff would start the slideshows, people would say, wait a second, wait a second, we heard about this film, can you show it again? So they ended up showing his film every night of the festival. Um, Jeff is an oddball in, in my terms, and I, I mean that in the, in the best possible way. He's... He's also, to use a baseball analogy, a very much a five-tool player. So he shoots still imagery, he shoots motion, he shoots time-lapse, he writes music, plays like several different instruments, and right. uh, records his own sound, and also is an abstract painter and perspective painter. So he really sucks because he does all those things really well, and it's just not entirely fair. But I had him for a few minutes and thought we'd, we'd talk. He's, uh, He's uh, made a few books in the past, made a few e-books in the past, and right. um, you just came out of the desert. What, what's going on? What, what were you doing, in a nutshell? Well, uh, my friends and I were exploring one day, and uh, we found this house that had uh, hundreds of empty butane cans all over the floor, and my, my friend's name is Kane, and he's sort of my partner in crime. Where is this? Um, this Roughly. is out uh, near Joshua Tree, just way kind of on the edge of it, though. Like, there's there's some little towns there, but this is, like, even pretty far out from the little towns. Okay. Um, so we found this, basically, it was the remnants of a drug manufacturing operation out there, and, and there's all these empty butane cans. So, um, naturally, Kane started shaking them to see if there's any butane left, and he had an Uncle Sam top hat with him. <laughs> That's okay. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> and he started blowing fireballs and we did an impromptu portrait, which is really, really cool, actually. And, um, and you know, I'm not even really a portrait photographer. Um, so that's how we discovered that place. Well, later I decided I wanted to do a painting that I wasn't even really going to put out there or do anything with, and it was just blowing off steam. And um, that resulted in the cops actually uh, coming out to the property. I had guns drawn on me and the whole thing. And, um, good, good. Yeah, it was, it was good times. Um, and that whole, I wrote that story out, um, and I can't even say what the painting was because it in, involved everyone's favorite four-letter word that begins with fuck. And, um, you know, it, <laughs> so, it, so not only was I out there illegally painting it on the inside of somebody's house, I was, uh, you know, painting the F word in giant letters. Um, but it was kind of abstract, so um, when things calmed down and the cops decided I wasn't a threat and they brought the property owner in there, um, I struck a deal up with her um, that if I helped clean up the property from the dumping that had been, you know, people just yeah. dump random junk on it, um, so she wouldn't get a fine with the county, I, I had permission to be in there this last month. And, um, you know, they all... So you stayed there for a month? Yeah. Sleeping in your car? Yeah. Yeah, uh, showering uh, in the yard with a Coleman shower bag and like and like forty thousand dollars worth of uh, you know camera gear in there and whatever else. So just to give everybody who's listening a, a, an idea here, so what you do is you find an abandoned property, and then you go in and you basically are I don't know whether you sketch it out or you just sketch it out mentally, but you're you're creating these paintings on the inside of the house and they're 
perspective. They're 3D paintings, even though they're, they're painted in one dimension, the way that you do that, it actually looks three dimensional. But you're also, at the same time you're doing that, you're recording it both inside and outside the house with time-lapse. So what that right. requires is for you to paint for like 55 seconds, and then you jump down and run out in the camera fires, and then you run back in with your ladder and keep painting, but you do that for like 10, 12 hours at a time, right? Right. Yeah, about as much as I can take. This is the longest I've ever spent that, on that, that was a, a casual, site. That was a casual right, because... <laughs> That, that, that's not normal behavior. I mean, when I tell people that that's how you get what you have, they just kind of go, well, that's, you know, I, it doesn't it's, really register. It's hard for them to relate. I mean, who the fuck does this? You know, no, no one, as far as I know. Um, so it's hard for people to really... I have the same struggle. as like whenever I show somebody my films, they're always, you know, they just assume automatically in this day and age that it, it's got to be motion graphics or some sort of 3D modeling or, you know, CGI or something, or at least Photoshop or After Effects. And it's really none of those. It's all done in camera. And as far as the paintings, I mean, I sketch, I'm kind of like Francis Bacon on that front. You know, he said he, he sketches out his ideas, but then when he actually starts painting, he lets the canvas take him where it will. And my canvas happens to be three-dimensional and have an inside and an outside. And I'm lighting the inside a lot of times with um, speed lights or just whatever lights on during the night. And so I've also got all the other landscape outside. So there's just all these different things going on at once. Um, and I'll sketch out paintings for months on end. And then I'll get to the site and I'll get the camera all ready to go. And all that will just go right out the window sometimes. Because do something totally different. The... The Circle of Abstract Ritual, which is the one with the trees. Right. I, you, you did storyboards for that. Yeah. And the reason I'm bringing that up is I saw those storyboards, and they were unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable storyboards. And those actually were pretty... What happened with the ritual were actually pretty accurate to the, to the storyboards, which is pretty interesting. But I have another question. So you, do, you shoot stills, and you're shooting motion, and you're doing time-lapse, and you're painting, and you're also doing the audio. You're a space, space nut who actually borrowed my moon book and actually brought it back. So you're, you're in the minority there. That was most, hard, by the way, bringing it back. That, yeah, was one of the, that was one of the most courageous things I've ever done in my life. I, I loan a lot of books and many of them don't come back. But <laughs> is there, of the five sort of things that you're going after, the five, the five disciplines here, is, there, is, is everything about the film or is there some sort of individual achievement or success within each one? So that say that you, you know, yes, you're making a film about the desert, but... What does that, what does the still work mean to you? Because your work is comprised of all these stills, but is there something within each of those disciplines that kind of fuels you for that specific discipline? Or does the only thing that matter that final film? Oh, no, it's definitely more than the final film matters. Um, I found, you know, in a previous life, I was trying to make it as a musician and I would get... um, sort of routinely mono-focused on like, well, I've got to record this album or I've got to record this song or I've got to write this lyric. And um, I wouldn't let myself screw around. And it turns out when I let myself screw around, I wind up developing all these other capabilities and sort of throwing them into the mix. And so if I have this playground where I can just jump from thing to thing to thing, I can do not only um, you know vertical movements in terms of like say maybe I want to advance the painting or maybe I want to advance the photography in this way or the motion control or whatever um, I can also um, just have fun developing something 
totally different as far as like sound design. I really went nuts with sound design on Circle of Abstract Rituals. So it gives me all these different little areas that I can start poking around and experimenting with. Um, and because what I've really realized is that uh, just doing something well is utterly boring to me. I just don't even care. Um, I want to experiment pretty much always. And so if I'm not doing something that's like sort of fueling that little thought in my head, like I wonder if this would work, um, then it's, it becomes very, very stale for me. And um, so if I have all these different disciplines, it just gives me way more things to play with. So one of the things that I really like about you is that every time I talk to you, you're, you're typically in the field. It's pretty rare that you are here today and you came here for a specific reason. Right. To, to sign a couple this of this is my one day between between gigs. between shoots and and you know a lot of times I find people including myself I've been guilty of sitting around saying boy if I only had x y or z then I would go and do something right you tend to be in the field all the time which I, I have a great appreciation for having said that there's a you know you are you know it sounds cheesy but you've transitioned from when I first met you to where you are today you've become a, a much more full-blown artist. And there's a commercial side to that. What, what I find you're doing in the field, what I love about it is the fact that nobody is telling you, Jeff, go find a meth house in the desert and go make art. Because you're, that would be insane. Yeah, that would be insane. And you know, the, probably not a huge amount of clients out there looking for that kind of thing. But you're still doing it. And what my question is, has there been a transition to the commercial world? Has that been easy? Has it been difficult? Has it, have you found yourself compromised? Or are you, be, are you able to make the kinds of things you do for commercial clients? Because the reality is we all have to pay, pay bills. Like, how is that transitioning for you? Well, it's kind of this interesting thing is I, I started out doing this. I like what you said at the very beginning of that, which is um, most people think they have to have X, Y, and Z in place to go do whatever and my advice to people is always fuck all that just go do it just go start doing it even if you do it wrong just go um it's sort of the antithesis of what i was learning in art school which was well you've got to get your ideas perfectly together and sorted out before you go out and um you know it's it's like even some of the biggest artists in the world right now like banksy has said in interviews that he went out and just screwed around like tagging walls for 10 years before he figured out what the hell he was doing um shepherd fairy same thing um so as far as commercial stuff i mean it sort of remains the same as when you met me is that the very strange stuff that i do that the films that i really do for myself they sort of have this indirect method where um they do lead to some commercial work uh but i've been freelancing since before I was, uh, you know, graduated from school. So I just try and bring in money any way that I can really to finance the work that I'm doing. Um, and that leads to all sorts of weird little revenue streams. And I mean, like this gig, I'm just a lighting guy. I'm just going to be a lighting guy on a fashion shoot, which is fine with me. I get to see how they work and I, I get to kind of, uh, you know, get to know people that I might want to collaborate with in the future on other stuff. Can we talk about your next project? Um, I have two of them I'm doing at once right now. The one that I'm thinking of starts with F and it's four letters. <laughs> but, but not that word. It's the other one. The other, the other F word, fire. Fire. Yeah, we can, we can talk about the fire. Because fire. I've seen a trailer for 
something that you shot back in when when were the the fires down south in san diego um they were in may yeah i saw that so let's talk about that a little bit uh that was a very strange experience um i did, it took me by surprise i mean i'm kind of regularly going into these sort of uh, difficult situations, um, but I've been wanting to do a fire film for a long time that focuses basically on the effects of global warming. And one of those effects is as we have more drought, it uh, dries all the fuels out and we have more fires and the fires send more soot in the air. The soot winds up on the ice um, when it's carried by the airstreams. And that soot is dark, so it causes the ice to melt faster. Um, so it's just, we're having all these cascading effects as far as the ice melting. And every time, see, I don't, I don't really um, watch the news anymore because I don't trust it. I'm, I'm mostly subscribed to the science community and I just read a lot of stuff and watch documentaries as far as that goes. But as far as like media outlets, I, you know, they're and what about, not I mean, very useful to me so, anymore. So the whole basis of that project was, was in essence about global warming, but it was just yeah. something that you, you can access. And living where you do and spending time in the Southwest, obviously, Southwest has been called the, the bellwether globally for climate change. Right. And uh, I so, wanted to make the effects real because people don't seem to react to anything unless it's in their face. And, well, I want to put it in your face. That's the whole. Um, what's the long-term goal with that? I mean, you, you just started shooting it, but like, Give me a, a sense of time, how much time you're going to spend on this. Do you have a, a target of, I'm going to shoot fire for a year, I'm going to shoot fire for a month? What, what do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm going to shoot fire for a fire season, which is increasingly difficult to define it at this point because it's so, uh, you, you it's know, it keeps getting unexpanded, right. you know. Um, but the whole idea was, you know, I'm going to run around and shoot during the most intense part of the fire season and put everything else on hold and just put it on standby so I can focus on this. And, um, you know, I'm open to the project changing course in a sense. Like if there was somebody that like want to attach to it and say, okay, well, let's really make it a full body thing. Like you, where we, you go to Greenland, then it'd be like, okay, then it would sort of take on a different dimension. But for now it's just, was that a hint? You were dropping a hint. Yeah, to yeah, yeah maybe, exactly. Maybe. Can I go to, here's my email address. So, uh, <laughs> right. any, anyone in Greenland, um, <laughs> Yeah, just thought I'd throw that out just there. Just thought uh, if you want to fly me. Yeah, so it's, uh, but that's kind of still that sort of Francis Bacon thing in a way, even even with a project that's that kind of serious. And um, I don't often do stuff that has a social message, but I see that as something that's extremely pressing. And we are not doing anything about it as a species, you know. I saw last week for the first time signs on the freeway. I think it was in Northern California that said extreme drought conserve water. And for me, someone who lives in Southern California and also New Mexico half the time where water has always been a precious resource, I've, I've always felt the same thing of looking around saying, man, you know, I drive down the streets in Southern California and people are literally watering their concrete driveways. Right. And I think, right. wow, there's, there's really a detachment here from the realities of what we have and how people are behaving. So it's um, and and how does it feel to do a project that has a, a a social element to it as opposed to just doing something for the sake of being creative? I mean, is it something? Was how how much of a conscious decision was that at the beginning of the fire project? You know, it feels scary, really, because it's you kind of almost feel like, well, I have to know everything to say anything, but that's one of those illusions that you just need to get over yourself and say your piece and. Um, 
I don't think it's really fair to expect everyone to know everything and a lot of people act that way at this point because we all have Google. And in a way that's kind of nice and because it elevates yeah. theoretically, you know, like elevates everybody's knowledge level, but at the same time it invites uh, probably a, a little bit of a burdening snarkiness that's just sort of prevalent, you know, it's ubiquitous. Yeah, yeah you're like, I know that. Yeah, yeah you're, what you're yeah. like, yeah, Quantum but here's all this shit you yeah. don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's, that's, this is um, something I've felt strongly about for a very long time. And the more and more, and again, like it's, to me, this whole debate about is global warming real? Is it debate you know, caused by man? That's not even real. That's just bullshit. Uh, it, that's, there's no debate like that in the science community. It's not really there. That's really only something that's in the media that the media created to sure. get eyeballs on screens and... It's not. It's obvious that it's us. It's extremely clear, and the implications of it are extremely disturbing. If you look through the geological record, sure, this stuff has happened before. There's been this much carbon in the atmosphere, and it's always associated with mass extinctions. Well, it's funny you say that because I'm reading a book right now about the Anasazi in in, in New Mexico and Colorado and Utah, and they, you know, there's a lot of theories about how they just disappeared overnight. They actually didn't just disappear overnight, but what one of the huge uh, realities of their life was, was transitioning to where there was water. And right. so, and, and the ground, you know, going That's back through history. That's where I grew history, up, by the way. Well, then I grew you, up exploring those uh, Indian ruins. And, it, and even in those communities down there, it's uh, uh, really, it's still kind of a mystery as to like, it's always a question of um, why did they disappear? Exactly. And how there's fast. all this sort of folklore around it. Sure, and it's uh, and I know nothing even with Google, so uh, that tells you, you <laughs> That's know, I'm a product of uh, you know the education system. So uh, this is something that I always ask everybody, and I want to wrap it up with this because we've rambled for 17 minutes, believe it or not. I I I wouldn't call it rambling. All right, whatever. Don't don't bore <laughs> me with the facts. Um, I always ask people this question, which is best case scenario, perfect scenario is I come to you and say, Jeff. What, you know, you can have everything you want, whatever you need right now. What is that? Is that freedom? Is it time? Is it finance? Is it, is it equipment? A combination of all? Like, what, what is the perfect scenario for you moving forward as an artist? Oh, it's definitely freedom. But that's, that goes right back. This actually ties all the way back to one of the first questions you asked me is that, um, and Kane, the guy I mentioned yeah, earlier, sure. taught me this. He said to me, uh, you know, I was going along in life, worrying about bills and whatever, and um, I, I, I had this thought in my head, like, man, I wish I could be a rock star. I could just do whatever I wanted all the time. And then he just decided one day, well, I don't care. I don't need all the money or all these other things in place. I'm just going to do it right now. And just like that, he ejected himself right out of the rat race, and that's exactly what he did. It takes a pretty hardy person to do it, you know, it, but it... To this day, I've seen him have $10 in the bank, and if some job comes along that's, that he doesn't like or is you know, insulting to his integrity or pride or whatever, yeah. he just says no, even though he totally needs the money. And it's, um, freedom is a big, huge thing. It's a really tough thing to get, and it's something that usually requires a lot of courage to get. And uh, that's, that's the thing. You know? So there's a certain amount of freedom that can be had by having more money more equipment gives me freedom to have a broader palette in an artistic sense but I don't see why I have to wait for money to be in place to have the freedom and that's exactly how I've gone about living my life 
And um, at this point in my life, I definitely have more freedom than I've ever had. Well, I think that's a, a really important important point of uh, what you mentioned was learning how to say no when things are right. And I knew I know as a photographer when I started back many years ago, a friend of mine, a designer at the time, told me, he said, the jobs you say no to are more important than the jobs you accept. And I literally in my head said, God, that's a ridiculous cliche. Like, that, what a joke. That's, that can't be, can't be right. And within three months, I didn't in, involve myself in a job that turned out to be literally a hellish situation for two years of my life. Wow. And I said, I will never, ever make that mistake again. And I think for a lot of young, because you're, you're still young, a lot of young artists out there, it's hard. You know, when, the, when things are tight and the budgets aren't what they were and people are like, oh, man, I got to take everything that comes along. But I think... I think well, they're, they're, either, they're either saying no too much or not enough, right? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, it's a balance, but you seem to have found a really good balance because ultimately every artist I talk to says the same thing in regards to the best work they've ever done is the work that they have done themselves. It's personal work. And right. so you have found a really amazing balance of creating. You've created as much personal work in the past couple of years as anybody that I've been around. And that, that's saying something because I'm around a lot of different, you know, obviously in this job, around a lot of different people. So it's commendable. I want to say thanks for, for taking the time. I have a feeling we're going to do this again because I think we could talk about a variety of things, especially now that we're both Google brilliant people. That we can just, <laughs> we'll just choose a random topic and uh, we'll Google it and then we'll have another talk. Google and I know everything. Of course. So thanks for, uh, for joining us. And uh, we didn't talk about books. We didn't talk about blurb or anything, but we will get to that at a, later, at a later date because you've made some pretty interesting things. And you also approached blurb from a very strange perspective. And I meant strange in a good way. But uh, thanks for the time. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. All right. Look forward to it.